0: So tonight, I'm sorry I don't have a handout this time around, but we're going to continue our study in the last things. And when we talk about the last things or future things, one of the subjects we have to deal with are the judgments, because uh, those are most of those are future. And so I have a three-part uh, study tonight on three of the judgments and this is going to be more devotional in nature, but I think you'll find that this will be helpful. Some of it might be review for you, but we'll go through it so you can see how these three judgments relate to one another and how, what that means for you personally as a believer. So, as far as Scripture goes, um, we're not turning to anything right away. We'll get to that in just a moment. But as we begin, I want to look at... The judgment that I'm going to give one word to, so we can kind of hang our hats on these these pegs. And so one word, the first judgment is sin, the second judgment is self, and then the third judgment is the judgment for the saints. So the first one, sin, one that we're very familiar with. And uh, it is the judgment of a holy God on our sins. And that happened, of course, at... Calvary. So I'm going to divide up each of these into five parts. You'll have the f- subject and the uh, time, the place, the basis and the results. So if you want to make notes, Yourself. This is great material to help to ground a new believer or somebody who has been saved but never got grounded in in, uh, good Bible doctrine. This is a good study to take them through. So this is good basic discipleship and this is also good just to assure our hearts in what we believe. So the subject of this judgment is Christ bearing our sins on the cross. The timing is AD 33. The place, Calvary. The basis is the law. The basis is the law. And the results is the physical death of Christ and the justification of the believer. Okay? Um, While Beth and I and and her family were in Israel, um, the most memorable part of that vacation. Was our trip to the Garden Tomb and to Calvary. Um, one of Beth's sisters recently messaged on their, their family group text. And she said, I've been thinking of our trip. And, and she said one of her favorite memories was going to the place, the site of Calvary. And this is a place that is really believed to be the actual place. And, and uh, there's not really any question about that. Uh, she said, that was one of my favorite memories. But that group that came in just before us really ruined it for me. And she was talking about a fanatical, charismatic group that came in. And um, they were sort of a Brazilian version of like Hillsong or something. And they came in with this... I mean, this is a sacred place. This is a place where people are quiet out of respect. And they came in with a big boombox, this big like, Bluetooth thing. A guy strumming on a guitar and wearing sunglasses and his hat kind of cocked sideways. And, like, the infantry soldier in me was... Um, And they came in there just as a big group of 30 people, basically just barging right through the front door, the gate, not really talking to any of the workers, just coming through there, singing all of them at the top of their lungs one of these uh, praise and worship songs. With the worldly beat and worldly music and stuff. Um, so you said, Pastor John, you're so judgmental. Well, it wasn't just me. I wasn't the only one that felt this way. A true yes. It's a, it's a spirit of rebellion. I know the rock and roll spirit of rebellion. I grew up in it. Um, some of you who were part of the 60s uh, hippie movement and into all that kind of stuff... The Doors and you know <laughs> Jimi Hendrix and all that kind of stuff. That's the rock and roll rebellious spirit. There's a spirit to it, right? Well, there's a spirit in this stuff um, because they're adapting rock music to uh, for a Christian purpose and use. Well, uh, yeah. It's, it is the wrong beat, and it's the wrong spirit, and it's the wrong attitude. And they came in there, and on one hand, you know, they were going throughout all the streets of the Muslim quarter, and at that time we kind of thought it was cool, because they're all singing about Jesus, and all these Muslims are hearing about it. But when they got to the Garden Tomb, no, it didn't fit. And it ruined the thing. And then when we were in there and the guy was giving us a presentation and showing us where Jesus would have been crucified. And it's now uh, like a bus parking lot. It's the main intersection of the city. So the city buses park there and they go in and out on their routes. And he said, this is where the Roman roads converged and this is where they crucified uh, criminals. So that when you came into this city, you saw Rome is in charge. And if you mess with Rome, you will pay. And so, um, I just, I sat looking at that, just weeping. And then beside it was the skull, the hill of Calvary and, and, um, uh, the Mount of the skull. But as we were listening to him, one of the ladies in that group stood up and and, and right in the middle of their presentation with their guide, uh, she stood up and interrupted her guide, interrupted our group and just started saying she had something to proclaim that God gave to her. God wasn't in any of that. And it interrupted everything that was going on there. And I just just tried to, everybody just tried to politely tune her out and tune all of that out to just have your own personal experience there. But I thought about what Jesus did for me. It's a personal thing, what he did for me at Calvary. And um, now that is forever attached to everything that I think and feel about Calvary. But the most important thing that happened there was Christ bearing my sins on the cross. And that's how we should feel. He bore my sins. And when I'm preaching, I say he bore your sins, you know. But he did that, and he did it because the law said, we are guilty. We are guilty. And so he took, basically, the wrath of God. He took that On Him, the judgment of God fell on Jesus Christ at Calvary to pay for our sins. Our sins are defined by the law of righteousness. So that's the basis. Our sins are defined by that law. And He took the penalty for breaking that law. In our our place, in our stead, as our substitute. The wrath of a thrice holy God fell on the helpless back of Jesus Christ. A sinless Savior. The Scripture the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John 1.29 But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, meaning he was made a man, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Hebrews 2.9 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Romans 1.18 and one more. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. So let me draw a little timeline here off to the side. And they said that I've always, drawn, I've always drawn this, you know, the hill called Mount Calvary, Mount Golgotha, the place of the skull. I've always drawn the cross up on top of the hill. The, the guide told us that, that Jesus actually would have been crucified down here where the buses were parked at the time. And then you have the place of the skull over here right right behind it, basically, in the backdrop. And they, he said that they wouldn't have crucified anybody up here because there wouldn't have been anybody passing by. And that's, that's to believed to be uh, the truth from scholarship. Um, I just, When I hear stuff like that, I just kind of put it on the back burner in my mind. And if that's the case, okay. So I, I guess if that's the case, then I shouldn't draw the cross up on a hill, but maybe the hill in the background... But uh, basically, you you would have had the cross, you would have had the hill, which is called the place of the skull, and then over here, the tomb was over here. But this is A.D. 33. Right there. Um, The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Jesus never sinned, right? So why did He die? Well, He died for us. Judgment was poured on him against sin, and the result was the death of Christ for the justification of the believer to be justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. It means that I can have all of my past wiped out, cleaned. I'm, I'm justified. I'm treated as if I'm not guilty. You know, Jesus in God's courtroom, God slams down the gavel, says guilty. Jesus is treated as if he's guilty at the cross. When I come to Jesus for salvation, God puts down the gavel says, Not guilty. I'm treated as if I'm not guilty. It's wonderful. That's justification. The judgment of God fell on Jesus instead of falling on me. And if you're saved here today, then the same is true for you. You're justified in Christ. So, do you as the apostle preached uh, trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. First Timothy 4.10 He's the Savior of all men. We have to trust in the living God. Therefore, we have to trust in the right object. The right object is Christ and Him crucified. God became a man and died for our sins to take care of the sin problem. So do you trust in the living God? Or do you trust in the wrong object? Um, the wrong object would be anything else other than Jesus. Okay, What does this mean for us? Well, you've heard me tell you about this before, but have you ever heard of a fire break uh, in, the, in the woods? And They'll, they'll dig out a, a large, wide path through a section of woods, and they will burn it out, first of all, and they will dig it out and clear it, So that if there's a forest fire, the fire only goes so far in the forest. It will only go through one section. It won't just keep going and going and going. They call that a fire break. We used to run on these when I was in Fort Bragg, and they were sand. Um, After everything was cleared out, you just had sand. And the thing about that is that once the fire burns that area, it can't burn it again. And so if you're in Christ, you're safe. Because God's judgment has already fell on Jesus Christ, and it can't fall again. So if you're in him, you're safe from the judgment. The Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. If you were in the woods training as soldiers, and you're in one part, and there is a forest fire, which it would happen sometimes, they would move you to another section, and you were safe because of that fire break. So that's what Christ does for us. It doesn't matter what your past looks like or what my past looks like. It doesn't matter. If I get in Christ where the judgment of God has already fallen, then I'm washed. I'm sanctified. I am justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. That's what that judgment means for us. So if you want to go to heaven... Trust Jesus Christ. If you want to miss heaven, trust anything else. It doesn't matter. Our sins were paid for when we trusted Jesus Christ. So what He did, it wasn't put on my account until I believed, until I trusted. He's the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. But once I believed, what He did counted for me. And it's the same for all of us who believe today. But what about our sins today? What about the sins that we commit daily? Well, that's where the self-judgment comes in. The self-judgment. So, the, the daily self-judgment of the believer. That's what I want to talk about. The subject is the saint. Would you turn to 1 John 1. The self-judgment is the saint. Now, if you're trusting Christ, you're a saint. That's what the Bible says. All who have been born again, they are saints. If you're not trusting Christ, then you ain't. Even the most worldly carnal Christians in the Bible, the Corinthians, Paul called them all saints. He said to the saints, which are in Corinth. Um, so if you're saved, you're a saint. So the subject of this judgment is 1 John 1. And if you notice in 1 John, if you read through this in your own private time, notice that John uses the word we, includes himself with the group there. He's referring to uh, believers in that chapter. And the subject of 1 John chapter 1 is the fellowship of believers. And it gives conditions for fellowship. Not conditions for salvation, but conditions for fellowship. So the subject in 1 John chapter 1 is the saints. Uh, The time. When should we make this judgment? Any time. Any day. Every day. That's when we judge ourselves. The place anywhere. doesn't matter where you are. Um, you could be, you know, a soldier training in Fort Bragg out in the, out in the, uh, field and you, you don't have to be in a church. You know, you don't have to call a preacher or a priest. You could be anywhere. You could be in the bathroom. I mean, you could be in the shower. You could just be anywhere. It's, uh, you could be in the car, driving down the road. You could be laying in your bed. Whenever sin occurs, that's the time, the place, anywhere. The basis, sonship, okay? The basis of this judgment is sonship, meaning that God has adopted us and, and treats us as a child. We're part of the family of God, right? Um, an interesting thing that I found out when we adopted Lucas is that. Adoption is actually more binding than a natural birth. Because the, uh, the judge was trying to impress on us, once you do this, you're not going back. Are you sure you want to do this? And um, Because he said, if you were to have a child of your own, you can actually disown your child. But legally, once you adopt this, this boy, you are not allowed to disown him. Isn't that something? You cannot disown an adopted child. Yep. And so with Christ, we're 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 adopted into God's family as a son, and there's a lot to that, but then that makes us heirs. The son was the heir. So we have that sonship relationship. That's the basis. So when you think of your sin, when you think of the self-judgment, think of yourself, I'm a child of God. God is my father. Okay, that's how we should think about it. And then the results Forgiveness and cleansing. So if you notice there in First John chapter 1, this is, these are verses that we should use every day, that we should teach other believers. Um, verse 7, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If you want just a simple word to understand fellowship, it's, it's our relationship. You know, if I did something uh, with to, to hurt my dad when I was a boy, I would hurt my relationship with my dad, you know, or my mom until I got it right. And then I would have to go and apologize and say, I'm sorry, and then try to do better. And that would restore the relationship that I had with my dad or with my mom. Same thing is true with God is having to do with our our fellowship. If we say that we have no sin, verse eight, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, so, so much for those who say that you can reach a state of sinless perfection because you can't. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. I like to underline those words faithful and just. God is always faithful every time. doesn't matter how many times you have to confess it. He's always faithful and He's just. And the longer that you're living this Christian life, after a while you think... Why? Why should God forgive me? You know, this just isn't right. Um, I don't deserve His mercy. That's how how you start to feel after a while, and you have to realize God is just in doing this. Why is He just? Because God Himself paid for our sins. He Himself paid for our sins, and so it's like God. It's like God writes you a check, and He says, uh, "You can take this check." And you can go to the store and you can buy these things that you need. And then also you can get a candy bar. And And he goes, and his name is on it. All you have to do is just fill in the amount. So you go to the store, you get what God uh, you know, wants you to get from the store, and then get a little bit of something for yourself, the candy bar. And that's what I feel like it is with, with the Christian life. It's like I don't deserve his goodness, and he's extra good to me. But he's just in doing it because he himself put on the robe of flesh, became a man, and died and paid for our sins himself. And he said, once I get you, you're mine, 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 all mine, and I will forgive you. And I will take care of your sin until I get you to heaven. So he's just in doing it. He's not just, God's not just like turning a blind eye and overlooking sin. No, sin was dealt with. Okay. Um, So it's not that kind of parenting. Just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So John is very serious about that. All right. Um, Now you say, does the Bible even teach us that we should judge ourselves? Well, 1 John is a good example. Then also Paul says, let a man examine himself. Paul teaches self-examination. That was in the area of salvation. But then he also says, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 28 and verses 31. If we would judge ourselves, the subject, self, then we should not be judged. But here's the thing. If we don't judge ourselves, then God will chasten us. Because he's a good heavenly father. He'll spank us. And um, he'll discipline us. But he says, if we would judge ourselves, then we wouldn't be judged. You see, that's why it's a good idea to keep a short list with God. Grace doesn't give you a license to sin. Yes, and this, this right here—if somebody ever accuses us of that—listen to what I'm teaching. I am not saying you have a license to sin. I'm saying you have forgiveness, but we don't want to. So you don't want to be judged by God. You want to just go ahead and take care of it. Now, self-judgment of the believer. Uh, is any time, but listen, I want to say this, particularly before going to bed. What I mean by that is this. If we start our day with the Lord, you know, you, you talk to the Lord first thing before you talk to anybody else. Um, you, you read God's word or read a devotional in the morning and you commit your life to the Lord the way I've been talking about. You commit your life to the Lord and say, Lord, today I'm going to walk with you in the light and have fellowship with you. And my, and my brothers and sisters in Christ, help me by your spirit to do this because I can't do it without you. Help me. And then, but you say, I'm committed to you today. All right, You go out through the day and then you, you, you as you're walking in the light, you sin and you do something you shouldn't have done, thought something you shouldn't have thought, or you didn't do something that you should have done. When that happens, walking in the light means confessing it right there when it happens. And then taking God at His word, knowing that Just like that, you can have it right with God in just a moment. And you're right with God, you just go on. Now, it humbles you, right? Then when you get to the end of the day, you look back over the day and talk it over with God. Say, God, I started out and I had these intentions, and this here went wrong, and I'm not sure. You're pouring your heart out to the Lord and talking it over with Him and making sure you have everything right with the Lord. And if you do that, that's like a bookend... On the day. It's a really... These, this is old time religion. Old time Christianity. This is, a way, this is how you spend your life with the Lord. Walking in daily fellowship. If you're not interested in walking with the Lord, you won't do these things. But you can go day after day after day after day. Staying in fellowship with, heaven, with your Heavenly Father this way. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, John says. And so we've got to take care of it. And God understands... It's not a license for sin, but you gotta. God knew what He was getting when He got us. Some people come to Christ with more baggage than others, but we all come to Christ with our sins. Okay, Judgment number one determines whether you will go to heaven. If you want to go to heaven, trust Christ. If you want to go to hell, trust anything else. Judgment number two determines whether or not you stay in fellowship with the Lord during your time on this earth. And that's all. It determines your fellowship, not your salvation. Once you're born as a son into God's family, you cannot be unborn. A son can be out of fellowship with the Father, but he is still his son. A son can be whipped, chastened, rebuked, corrected. He can even die, but he's still in the family. He's born of the family seed. So Hebrews chapter 12, 7 and 8 says, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he of whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. That's the point. If you're chastened, that means you're a son. If you can just sin and get away with it and nothing happens, and you don't have a bad conscience about it, well you 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 need to examine yourself. Like Paul said, let a man examine himself. All right. Question number uh, two is, do you want to stay in fellowship with the Lord? Sin is salvation. That's that's how you get in. This is how you stay right. Do you want to stay in fellowship? Do you want to enjoy a fruitful and joy filled life or do you want a miserable life? So we have to confess our sins. We have to judge them. We have to avoid chastening as a son. Uh, We have to judge ourselves, examine ourselves, scrutinize ourselves, really. So how are you doing? How are you doing personally from day to day, week to week? This is is like basic Christianity. This is how a real Bible-believing Christian lives from day to day. There still is a remnant of Bible-believing Christians who are still praying every day, still reading their Bible, still staying in fellowship with God. Not everybody in America, you know, that calls themselves a Christian is totally shot. Uh, there are there are those that are still sticking by the stuff, and that's what I want us to do. That's what I want to do. What I want for our church. Okay. Now, this is for fellowship. It's not for salvation. The second judgment. Salvation is one time. So don't get the judgments confused. That's the, that's the problem, and that's why we're doing this. We have to make right divisions in the scripture, right? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, rightly dividing, making right divisions in the scriptures. We have to know what belongs to our salvation and what belongs to our fellowship. Okay? Now lastly, the saints, the judgment seat of Christ. So, sin was dealt with here. Um, Self is really all throughout here. And then, at the end of the church age, you'll have the rapture. And then we're going, going up to the judgment seat of Christ, which I should actually put the judgment of saints here. The Judgment of Saints. Let's just say 2030. Okay? This last judgment, this is, this is future. Uh, of course, the judgment of self is future, because that will be taking place tomorrow. But now this is the saints, and this is the Judgment Seat of Christ. The subjects are Christians. Okay? Saints. The subjects for this judgment. No unbelievers here. Just Christians. It happens, the timing, it's right after the rapture, and it's before the, you'd have the tribulation and the, the kingdom. It's before the kingdom and the second advent. So it's right at the tribulation and before the second coming. The place is in heaven. The basis of this salvation, okay? The basis is our works. Our works. And the results are rewards for the faithful. We'll look at 1 Corinthians 3. We'll look at uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians, and then we'll be done. 1 Corinthians 3. For the results, we are working in this lifetime for rewards. You say, well, I don't feel like it's right to do what I do for rewards. Well, God told you to. (laughs) Um, It's the beam seat, yes. And uh, he said, labor, and then when you get done, God's going to reward you. Yep. And this, I mean, there's a lot of Christians in America, and that's a real broad term. That doesn't mean save people all the time. Um, there's, I would say probably most Christians in America aren't even aware the, what the purpose of this life is really for. They don't know. They don't know that we're supposed to serve the Lord and suffer with Him and bear our cross and later on we'll be rewarded. So if we suffer with Him, we'll reign with Him. But if we reign now and just enjoy you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil, just enjoy sin for a season and we don't suffer with Him, then we will not be rewarded at the end. So um, the result is... Rewards, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians, verse 14. Um, Well, let's start up at verse 10. Paul says here, he's talking about how he had been laboring in verse 9, together with uh, other believers. Verse 10, he labors, he says, According to the grace of God which is given unto me, So grace is more than just unmerited favor for salvation. Grace empowers you for service. You need grace for service as well as salvation. So as a wise master builder, that's a laboring term, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So every man is supposed to build. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon the foundation... Now, who is the foundation? Peter? (laughs) No. Jesus Christ. Okay. Somebody said Jesus told Peter that he was the rock, and, and Jesus would build the church on Peter. And Peter himself, in his own letters, said, I'm not the rock, I'm not the foundation. In his own letters, he said, Jesus is the foundation. He is the... Foundation upon which we build. Now, if any man build upon the foundation gold, silver, precious stones, those are good things. Those are the sort of works that will endure the judgment. They'll make it through. Then wood, hay, and stubble, that's the bad kind of works that won't make it through. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work. It's fire for our works, not for our souls. This is not purgatory. It's not hell. This is fire for our works. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon. So you see that abide meaning passes the judgment. He shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so as by fire. See, every man who comes to this judgment, he himself will be saved. Yet so is the fire, the fire that tries his work. This is a fiery judgment. And that's why I say we should judge ourselves. Even scrutinize ourselves. Even, you know, you know don't let yourself get away with things. Tell your flesh, we're going to serve God. You know? Um, and, that, and then, now we're going to do something, so we want to be able to offer it to Jesus. Okay? Um, now, there's a reward the result, a reward for the faithful and a loss for the unfaithful. So the Bible says that you're not saved by works, you're not kept by works. Yes, sir? Do you have any idea of what the reward is? Uh, no. It, he talks about crowns. There's five crowns. So we know that at least. Um, well, I like to think about it like this: like when I never, I never deployed overseas for a military conflict. But I, I I did a year in Korea, so there, I'm not like Colton. Colton did; he deployed for a military conflict. When you get back to the country, Colton, I looked this up online. There was like a parade here, and they they welcomed him home and honored him and other soldiers who served. So you're honored because you you know you faithfully served as a soldier. Now imagine if he came back and he knew that he had broken the Geneva Convention, he had gotten in trouble with you know his platoon sergeant, and he had done something, and had his rank stripped, you know, and he came back in shame with a dishonorable discharge, it would be a completely different situation. You couldn't enjoy that parade, and that welcome home. And really, after the judgment seat of Christ, there's the marriage supper, I mean, the marriage, and it's like, um, I don't think I could... I mean, we're going to go to heaven, but if I get to the judgment seat of Christ, and I, I basically was dishonorably discharged from the Lord's army down here. You know, I couldn't enjoy the celebration that's going to happen. That's the way I think of it. Does that make sense? Yes, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, and that's in the, in the uh, millennial kingdom. Yep, so there's rewards. There's people who throw crowns back at Jesus' feet. And that's where I think of, like, the soldier with the, with the um, medals... He's honored those crowns, but we, we won't be standing up, look what I did, we'll be down on our hands and our faces throwing our like crowns at His feet. Like right. So many, so not walking around like a proud peacock. And then, but you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. Jesus said that you won't lose your reward even if you give somebody a cup of water. And He said those who suffer with Him will reign with Him, meaning reign over cities, rule over cities. Uh, so in other words, in the Millennial Kingdom, the people who are, Senators, so to speak, you know, or congressmen or congresswomen will be believers ruling in the kingdom. So that's a part of the reward, too. Yes. Thank you, brother. So the believers works are not what saves them. Uh, We're not even kept by our works. We're not regenerated by works. We don't get to heaven by works, but we do work. And the works that we do after we're saved will be judged. Every believer shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us. That's the saints. And what I mean by that is like, we're all going to muster in formation before the Lord. And we're going to be there watching one another be judged. And it really wouldn't surprise me if he didn't handle Racine as one group. You know what I'm saying? So I think we're going to be there and we're going to see how we do at the judgment. That's why don't be too hard on one another down here and don't pat everybody on the back and applaud them for everything they do because we haven't made it to the judgment seat of Christ. And it will be a humbling thing. Believe me. You'll see me get judged. I, I think that. I think so. I'll see you. So it's the judgment of the saints for our works. We, we save people who are saved by grace through faith, do not work to stay saved, but we work after we are saved. Okay. At the judgment seat of Christ, there's a difference between... So this is going up here, the saints judged in heaven, judgment seat of Christ. Down here, after the millennial kingdom, then you have the resurrection of the unsaved dead, the wicked dead, from all time. And they go up and they're judged at the great white throne judgment. Okay? Okay? There's a difference between the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne. This is what we're talking about. Future judgments, rightly dividing the word, things that are different are not the same. You have one judgment here, and another one here. I'll give you four differences. The judgment seat of Christ, as we study it in the Bible, there are no books at the judgment seat of Christ. But at the great white throne judgment... There are books. Okay, let's read Second Corinthians five real quick, just so we get to the other passage. There's two passages on the judgment seat of Christ, first Corinthians three and second Corinthians five. And just verse ten. Second Corinthians five. In the passages on this judgment, you'll find out that there are no books mentioned. Verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And the he there is just a, the gender, uh, generic gender use of that pronoun. It's referring to everybody. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. So everything will come out in the wash. It will all be open. For God to see. I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. So there's no books mentioned in these passages, but there are books at the Great White Throne judgment. Number two, at the judgment seat of Christ there are no unsaved dead. There's no unsaved here. These are saints being judged. At the Great White Throne judgment, there are unsaved dead. Um, Number three, the judgment seat of Christ takes place before the reign of Christ on this earth takes place before. Then you'll have the reign of Christ. The great white throne judgment takes place after the reign of Christ on this earth. And lastly, number four, at the judgment seat of Christ, nobody goes into the lake of fire. But at the great white throne judgment, they do. So those are four major differences. Again, things that are different are not the same. What you have is you have salad, tossed salad Christianity... Out there, and they just take it all, and they just toss it all together, all the Bible, toss it all together, and blenderize and it. then put it, and then blenderize it. The yes, yeah. One one other Bible teacher says blenderize it. Okay. Put it all. And you can't do that. You got to rightly divide it. Right. You got to see the differences. So, uh, and that's exactly how the Bible tells us to study, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing. The word of truth, so we have to make those divisions. All right, so we're done. Um, any questions on that? Because uh, this. You the, 12 and 14, and you know the verse, For God shall bring every work judgment mm-hmm. every thing, whether it be good or whether it be Yeah. Yep. Thanks for sharing that. Yep. Like you, you just read it. Every work into judgment with every secret thing. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that out. Anything else? If, if there's anything, if you want to say it, go ahead. Uh, any comment? Nothing? Okay. Um, so I hope that assures your heart. That's how you get grounded. Once you're grounded as a Christian, then you just can go on to serving the Lord and your, your conscience is not troubled anymore. You see, you're, you should be able to live in a free, clean conscience Daily. You say, you don't know what's in my past. It's under the blood, right? Put it under the blood. Leave it under the blood. That's the judgment of sin. You're living way back here. Live right here. Live in today. Judge yourself. Once it's gone, God is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's gone. You're clean. That's daily self-judgment of sin. That keeps you in fellowship. And then work for this. Work for the night is coming when no man can work. And that's talking about the end of your life. So, all right. Lord, we thank you for this tonight. God, uh, you're so, so good to us. And uh, we don't deserve it. We never will. But Christ is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. And I thank you, Lord, that you can, you can take my past and um, the past of everyone in here. And even the past of the, the Apostle Paul who killed Christians. And uh, was a very uh, terrible person. Uh, and you can put that past behind. And, and then uh, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wonderful, wonderful words that we have in the scripture. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.